The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. So we find ourselves in the book of Galatians, or the letter to the Galatian church, um, chapter 5, from verse 1 through 6, because I kind of want to build on just this topical theme that we have been carrying out the last couple of weeks. Kind of just talking about how we need to identify certain sins in our lives. I think especially discontentment. Um, discontentment is a sin we have all just become so accustomed to that we've, we don't even realize it's there in you. We don't even think of it as wrong anymore. And because of discontentment, what comes from that as a result, a fruit of that discontentment, we also deal with a sin of comparison. We start to compare. We compare circumstances. We compare um, people's situations. We compare people's gifts. We compare churches. We compare livelihood. And so, just to give thanks to the Lord that we could look at those things, identify those things, and look how to overcome those things, we started talking about sanctification. Sanctification is the process of living out our salvation. See, when we come to Christ, when, when Christ draws us to the Father and we come to the realization that Christ has drawn us and we trust by faith that His salvation for us is enough, that we serve Him as not only our Savior but our Lord, that's the moment of salvation. But that's not the end. That's just the beginning. The beginning of our salvation. From that point, we are called to work out this salvation. We are called to live out this trust daily. And so what happens is we get so caught up at times of, of how can I live out my salvation that it becomes legalism. That we start to make a list of things that must be done otherwise I'm not saved. That's legalism. And that's something that, that Paul deals with greatly in the book of Galatians. And that's what we need to identify and study this morning. Church, we have been set free. Amen? We have been set free. Amen? Listen, the burden that you are holding on to this morning, you have been set free. Amen? Whether you choose to believe it or not, the reality is Christ has freed us from sin. Whether you choose to believe it or not, Christ has freed us from those burdens. He has freed us from the sting of death. He has freed us from the law. Christ indeed has set us free, church. Let us rejoice and be glad in that reality. Christ has set us free. Just one of the beautiful things in this portion is one of my favorite verses. A cry for freedom that captures the heart, not only of Paul's burden to the church, but the declaration of freedom that we have in Christ. And this morning as we study this text, friends, you will see an exhortation that commands us to stand firm in our freedom. Are you with me? To stand free in your freedom. I want to read just for us our passage. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, 
Do not submit, submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You have severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You know, when I talk about freedom outside of Scripture, there is this 46 meter high symbol that I'm reminded of. Um, in the United States, in New York specifically, you will find the Statue of Liberty. Lady Liberty. A gift to the Americans, by the way, from the French. If you didn't know this, you'll know it now. That is actually a copper statue, even though it doesn't look like that. It's all the corrosion that's the sea and all those things have stained it the color that it is this day. But this huge, giant copper statue mounted of another base of about 46 meters high, this puts Lady Liberty almost 92 meters off of the ground. Incredible. It's an incredible sight. The Statue of Liberty. It was given to them by the French in 1876, marking 100 years since the Declaration of Independence, the statement of freedom. Friends, the question is freedom from what? You see, the, the idea of freedom has taken, has taken different molds over the years. Perhaps in this mindset, freedom meant the freedom to bear arms. Perhaps it was the freedom to occupy land. Whatever it may be, freedom has taken a different shape over the years. We look at the modern world and when we talk about freedom, it's become a hush word. Because how do you define freedom? If your freedom in any way obstructs my freedom, then it's not freedom at all. Of course, your freedom and my freedom might necessarily not be the same. I think in most cases, we define freedom differently. So as South Africans, as Zimbabweans, as Americans, as the English, we just see this constant reform in freedom. Just not too long ago, it was the UK that wanted to split away from the rest of Europe. Right now in our own country, a province wants to break away from the rest of the country. For what? They will say, freedom. So it's interesting just to see what the idea of freedom has taken form over the years. Here's an incident that took place in 1992. And this is, by the way, sorry, there's a few rabbit trails in my introduction. In 1992, the U.S. Supreme Court had a justice, Anthony Kennedy, who wrote in the case of Planned Parenthood v. Casey, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of life. Did you get that? 
at the heart of, of freedom is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and of the mystery of human life. Perhaps you do have that freedom in your own conscience. Perhaps you do have that freedom in your own home. But when that freedom breaks the law of God, when that freedom does not follow the truth we have seen in Scripture, then freedom, it's not. Dear friends, as we cry for freedom in a modern world, as we trust that Christ will come again to truly liberate us from the flesh, from the effects of the fall and how our flesh just wants to and craves sin and its temptation. Paul writes this portion of scripture at a climax concerning freedom. Paul gives us a, a cry for Christian freedom. And so the, the question that I want to give us as we study these next couple of points. What is Christian freedom? What is Christian freedom? Firstly, what are we set free from? What are we set free from? From verse 1, Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. The first thing Paul says here is, is there is a clarity, there is an identification for freedom Christ has set us free. That's the concept. That's the truth. We can't argue with that. We can't try and change the meaning of it. It's, here's one word, justification. Justification means at the moment we are saved, God declares us right in His eyes. He no longer sees our sin. He no longer sees our unrighteousness. He sees the righteousness of His Son, whom we are now clothed with. So when God looks at me, Despite the sin I have just committed, what does he see? Who does he see? He sees the righteousness of Christ. Not the righteousness of Edward or Cheryl or Naphtali. The righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. Dear friends, I want to tell you this morning. The righteousness that we supposedly have, the Bible calls that filthy rags. Anything outside of Christ, it's not good. Yet we stand justified in the clothing of Christ's righteousness. Therefore we as sinners are accepted by a holy God. And this is something people struggle to deal with. Especially in Paul's day. How can a holy, just and right God accept a sinner? A lawbreaker. Do you see that? And this is where legalism comes into play. 
we try and either lower the standard or change the standard. If I can't do this simple thing of trusting by faith, well, what I can do is dress a certain way. What I can do is speak a certain way. So maybe that will save me. And in this case, they wanted to bring circumcision as a way of salvation. As an entryway to the Lord. And so Paul's answer is, no, no, justification, we've just sung it, is by faith alone. Amen? Your acceptance by God, your right standing with God, is based on the work of Christ and Christ alone. Secondly, we receive it through faith alone. That's what the whole Reformation was about. Therefore, justification before God cannot combine our work with the work of Christ. Do you see that? We can't say, yes, Christ has saved me, plus I need to be circumcised. We can't say, Christ has saved me, plus I must pray to the saints. Do you follow? It's not Christ plus. It's Christ alone. That's the formula. Therefore, Paul says, stand firm on this very thing. Stand strong on this thing. In other words, stand with your feet cemented on this truth. Suggesting, I'm going to say from the pulpit, suggesting that our freedom needs to be defended. Are you with me? The Christian freedom needs to be defended. A lot of people take this position that as a Christian, I'm humble and I'm a serve. So I'm going to stand back and let everything just happen, you know, because that's what Christians do. No, a Christian is to stand firm on the truth and defend that truth. And if it means pushing back, then by the, the grace of God's good hand, we need to push back. But standing firm is the command. That's the exhortation. You, Christian, you, insert your name, stand firm on this truth. It's not enough to start by faith, these people say. It's not enough to just have righteousness. No, no, there has to be a formula. I must be involved somehow. Listen, if we have been set free, then we, as, as Paul says, if we have been set free, we have freedom in Christ. Here's what Paul shows us we were set free from. Firstly, Paul says that we have freedom from circumcision. Look at verse 2. He says that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage. He's talking to who? Help me out. Who's Paul writing this letter to? Heathens or Christians? Christians, right? He's telling these Christians, Alright, I understand you're confused. I understand. But listen to what I'm saying. If you are going to circumcise yourself, Forget about Christ. Because the motive at the end of the day wasn't just circumcision. 
It was the pressure that circumcision brings us into the acceptance of Christ. Circumcision is our justification. So Paul says, you can do that, but then forget about Christ. He's of no advantage. At some point, Paul says, just cut it. Just get rid of it. Then you are supremely holy. But no. If, if it's all about circumcision, Christ is of no advantage. But here it teaches us that we are free from circumcision. We are free from legalism in this regard. You see, they were saying in Galatians chapter 4 verse 10. Remember, the Galatians were Gentiles. They're not Jews. That's why we are dealing with the circumcision. Jews, I think on the eighth day, even after Christ, Jews would circumcise their baby boys. Right? So, these false teachers, these false Jewish teachers came to the church and said, Oh, hey, you guys follow Jesus. Are you circumcised? No. Well, then you're not saved. And this is the argument. Galatians 4 verse 10. These Gentiles were taking part in, in Jewish festivals. So the false teachers were saying, Okay, you take, you take part in these festivals... Well, then you have to be circumcised. You have to become a Jew in order for Christ to accept you. That's what they're saying. And Paul says, no, we are free from this. In fact, he says that if you become circumcised, you now have to follow the Old Testament law to the T. You can't miss out at anywhere. You have to tithe and regulate that tithe. You have to observe all of the festivals and feasts. You have to practice the once a year Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. You have to do all these things if you want to bring circumcision into the equation. Do you follow? That's why he says, if you add circumcision, if you think circumcision saves you, buddy, I have something else to tell you. You have to now practice the whole law. You have to do every single thing. You have no more working on the Sabbath. You have to uphold the Sabbath. And Paul says, no, we are free from circumcision. Let's move on. There's a second warning. In verse 3, Paul says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to to the whole law. So we are free from circumcision. And secondly, we are free from upholding the whole law. Literally, it translates, do what the law says. If you want to have a right standing with God, if you want to embrace Christ, you have to follow the Old, Old Testament law, Old Covenant law. You can't just bring in circumcision. You have to bring in a valid sacrifice. If you add the law then, you must do it perfectly. But what do we learn in the gospel? Christ tells us that He has come to do what? Fulfill the law and the prophets. Isn't it? This is His teaching. So if Christ has done that, we stand now in Christ, free from our sin, serving Him as Lord and Savior, 
What does it mean for me to go back and try to uphold the law with every measure? It means I worship the law and no longer Christ. I uphold the law but no devotion to Christ. Do you follow? So we are free from, firstly, circumcision. We are free from, secondly, upholding the whole law. Then thirdly, Paul continues in verse 4 and he says, You are severed from Christ. In other words, you are cut off from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Do you see that? You have fallen away from grace. Grace here, as with doing in verse 3, gets to the underlining issue. The verse is about doing versus believing. To accept circumcision, Paul says, you will fall away from grace. Because circumcision represents my work. Me doing something for faith. Me adding to the justification. Me following the law. No. What does it mean then to live the Christian life by this grace? If we look at the new covenant, the new covenant as we studied last week tells us that living the Christian life is by grace. And at the very bottom, it means staying in a right relationship with Christ by faith alone based on Christ alone. That's what the Christian life means. That's freedom in the Christian life. means having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and Him only. That's Christian freedom. Can I apply that freedom in a country that disregards Christ? I can. They will chop off my head though. But I can. <laughs> Martin Luther said, they may, they may cut off my head. My Savior will give me a new one. Friends, I believe the task is in front of us. Yes, we are set free from the law. We are set free from circumcision. We are set free from, from sin and the sting of death. We are set free. But we live as if we are captives. Isn't it? We hold our heads so low. We drag our feet so slow. Because we don't walk around trusting Christ. We get up in the morning, and this is probably what it sounds like. Ugh, another day. Ugh, again. Woe is me. None of us here are the prophet Isaiah or the prophet Jeremiah. Okay? They were literally called to ministries of suffering. Friends, Christian freedom means I am in a right relationship with Christ. I obey Him because I love Him. I have access to His Word. I have access to this communion. I have access to gather with His body on Sundays and in the week for fellowship. I am secure in God's hand based on His work and not my work. Therefore, I obey Him. We're set free to obey Christ. We are set free so that we can be devoted 
to Christ. My dear friends, do you choose to be a slave to sin or a slave of righteousness? Because in that is our freedom. Secondly, if we have been set free from something, then what are we set free for? What are we set free for? I want to continue from verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You see, our first question might be, what is the, the waiting for the hope of righteousness? The hope of righteousness. Because in Christ, don't we already by faith have this right standing with God? So what is the waiting for righteousness? Number one. Points and bullet points, just points. Number one. We have a future hope. That is what we are set free for. A future hope. Our hope is not this thin wish. Oh, that if I could only flip a coin into a fountain and hopefully I'd be free. No, my dear friends. Freedom in Christ is the future aspect of us being declared right. You see, Paul has the final judgment in view in verse 5. He tells us that faith in Christ is how we now enjoy full acceptance with God and how we will be found at the end. God will still accept us at the end because of Christ. Not because of you, not because of what you do, not because of how you pray or how much you give, because of Christ and His work in us. We enter by faith, we stay in the race by faith, and we will finally then be, confer be confirmed by this very faith. And what is our faith? The work of Christ, not ours. So what hope then remains for the future? God will publicly declare our righteousness in Christ. Isn't it that we hope that when Jesus comes back, we will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. But on what basis? On my basis? The fact that I did these things through my intellect? Through my study? Through my work? No, well done, good and faithful servant who has trusted, who held fast, who stood firm, in Christ. My dear friends, secondly, we are set free to enjoy God. We are set free to enjoy God. Paul says in verse 5, through the Spirit, it's crucial in understanding our Christian freedom. You see, the Holy Spirit comes and changes us. The Holy Spirit changes us even before salvation. You might not be aware of this, if you try and think back at the type of person you were and then you look at the journey that led to your salvation 
It's miraculous, isn't it? That your life could change just like that. But you see, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that begins in our hearts. He stirs our hearts. And He brings us to the point of our desire for salvation. Are you with me? We don't wake up one day and say, I want to be saved. My colleague is a Christian. I want to be a Christian. No. God works in our hearts. And He does this through the Spirit. The Spirit changes us. He takes out the old, this old natural heart of stone and He puts in a new heart of flesh. He gives us new desires. And then it's He who begins this, this work of sanctifying us. Of making us new. Of conforming us into Christ. It's He who frees us to become sons and daughters of the living God. It's He who frees us for our inheritance of all things. We should do a study on the Holy Spirit and His work. My dear friends, when Paul says, through the Spirit, he is saying that in Christ, through the Spirit, we are free to enjoy all of God's good gifts. No legalism. No strings attached. Enjoy the good gifts that God has given you. Remember, we are set free. We now stand before God and we are able to enjoy Jesus forevermore. You see, Christian freedom is, is for enjoying finally and forever what we were made for. Who we were made for. We have been made for God in Christ. And it's He who sets us free for this future hope. This glory that awaits us. Oh, guys, can't stress this enough. But then when I look in the Scriptures and see the writers, such as John, such as Paul, that says, we've seen, we've beheld. Yet we, we do not know what we will be like. But He's coming and we will be like Him. Paul says to the church, Brethren, in, in the blinking of an eye, we will be where He is. Doesn't that give you hope? Doesn't that stir you? That you stand free in Christ, knowing that no matter how crucial and brutal your death may be, or how peaceful and sudden, you're free. Eternally free. Friends, no matter how brutal, how severe, how hard, how unloving your life on this earth is, even now, you are free in Christ. And that freedom is the only thing that should matter. You see, we don't focus on circumcision. But what we do in the modern world is we focus on ourselves. And we say, but God... Why can't you just give me a breakthrough? Why can't you just put me in another situation? Why, why, why? But hasn't God saved us for much more than our comfort? Hasn't God saved us for much more than this moment? But we, we tend to be so focused on the moment, on our comfort, that we forget 
to ponder on how and for what we have been set free. I guess we as Christians go about life thinking, you know what, when we get to heaven, we'll worry about that. You know? When we're there, we'll worry. We'll see what it's like and we'll just fit in. That's literally how we go about our lives. It's like, oh, I know heaven is coming. It's like going to a concert. Yeah, that's in one month. I'll worry about the details later. That's why we're so gloomy. We have this future aspect of hope, but we never think about it. We never meditate on it. We never pray about it. When we say God is good, God is love, we certainly don't act like it. And so friends, there's a third point this morning. We have been set free with. With what? Look at verse 6. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. See, in Christ, we have been free to love. And that very love is what we have been freed with. The love of God. See, in Christ, look at Galatians 5 verse 13, just a few verses later, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The same love that frees us. The same love that when Paul says in the book of Romans, while we were yet enemies, He died for us. That love has now been given to us to freely, there's the key word, love one another. And how does Jesus Himself say we ought to love each other? Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. Christ humbly served. Christ called them out. He rebuked them. Don't, don't for a moment think it's unloving for me to rebuke my beloved brother or sister in their sin. Christ is our example in, in that love. In brotherly love. In sacrificial love. So we're called, we're, we're set free with love. The love of God, which now, Paul says, compels us. Are you with me? The love of God that compels us. Listen, friends. I know I've said this, but I need to repeat it. We've been freed from earning God's acceptance. We've been freed from sin. Freed from the law. Freed from death. We are free to enjoy God now. We are free to experience His holiness. We are free to know Him. Lest we take these opportunities for the flesh. See, Paul says that our freedom is with love. And that we're called to serve one another with the same love. The fact that we're saved, that is the, the doorway to love those around us. Love frees us from the burden of earning our righteousness with God. Love frees us from being fixated on our own deeds. Love frees us to love others, to give attention to their needs, 
to take the initiative, to expand the effort, and to meet each other where we are. That's love. Man, Christ loves graciously. And not only is Christian freedom for loving others, but it is a freedom with others. Here we are this morning. Many of our members ill, suffering in this heat with, with high body temperatures and all these things. But yet here we are, free from the damnation of sin. Free from the claws of Satan and his minions. Free. And we're together in this freedom. In Christ we are free to serve each other, bless each other, love each other. We are free from self-justification. Free from self-focus. Free, my dear friends, from selfishness. We are free to make the happy choice to not exercise our personal right for the sake of loving others. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, Though I am free for all, I have made myself a servant to all. That's love. The freedom of joy together with, with our love in God liberates us from this, this, this holy, unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. My dear friends, I, I believe that this morning you are aware of these truths. That when we read Galatians 5 verse 1 and it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. He's talking about so much more than just a song that you may have learned and just a chorus that comes to your attention. He's talking more about, he's not talking about your, your legal obligation. When Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free, we stand in the righteousness of Christ apart from works that our salvation is guaranteed that our salvation is eternal and it awaits us are you with me therefore he says stand firm and do not fall away from this truth don't wake up tomorrow morning friends which is monday don't wake up tomorrow under the yoke of slavery Wake up knowing that you are free in the righteousness of Christ. And then give thanks. Give thanks for the eternal glory that awaits you. Then you look at yourself in the mirror, because I'm sure we'll have a gloomy attitude about it. Look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am not my own, for I have been bought with a price. Therefore I shall obey and glorify my most precious and blessed Lord and Savior. Friends, in our freedom, we are set free from sin and death and hell and the burden of earning God's acceptance. Let us therefore express this joy through the Spirit of Christ that dwells in our hearts. Let us as a church look each other in the eye and with love greet each other knowing it's the same Holy Spirit that dwells in their hearts as well. We have been set free, we have been set free together and this is our unity. 
our unity being free in one Savior, one Lord, and His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's rejoice as we pray. Our most blessed Christ, our Savior. Perhaps it's time for us to go back and consider just how much we have forced ourselves on your throne. I pray that, Lord Jesus, your hand would just work such a great conviction in us to not linger and ponder on the me, on the I. Lord, but to see and behold the beauty of the freedom that we share in you. Christ, we thank you for the sacrifice that even while we hated you, despised you, could not look upon you, you died in our place. And now you are seated before your Father on the right hand, glorified in your body, bearing the marks. Oh Christ, I pray that through the Holy Spirit we would just be so rebuked when we, when we try to justify our entitlement or supposed entitlement. Christ, I pray that you would help us cultivate a desire to adore you, to be devoted to you, to be thankful in you and through you. More importantly, to love you and your people as you have loved us. So now, Lord, we pray that the fruit of this word may be brought forth and made honor and bless you. We pray this in your name. Amen.